everybody. This is Andy with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And I'm Jaylen. I'm one of the midwives at Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And welcome to Midwife Monday. Yes, welcome. We've been out for a bit, but that's okay because we're back and we're ready. Yeah, they're excited about our life. School's back in. Yes. We have a whole new, whole new thing going on at home, which I know some people cry when their kids go to school. I, I, that's not me. You're like, see you later? Yeah, because I'm not constantly cleaning. I'm not constantly, I'm bored because, you know, I'm the keeper of the boredom in the house. And I uh, have like magical skills yeah. at entertainment or something. Um, yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, Evelyn went back to school today. It was her first day. Ten-year-olds, um, you guys. Ten-year-olds. It's hard. They crack me up because they're really now starting to get opinions. Last year when we went school shopping, I, I think I told you, but... She got to pick out her own clothes, but she picked out dresses, all kinds of things. This year, no dress. And I asked her, I said, what's going on with the no dress thing? She goes, last year, when I wore a dress, couldn't play outside, and then I would step on it, and this would happen, and that would happen, all the things. And well, she was really good. Remember, it was reasonable. Then. It was very she reasonable. Had. She had very good reasons. So, no dress could be bought, and the only thing I could talk her into buying was shorts, and t-shirts. That's okay. And that was it. She wouldn't let me buy underwear, any kind of underclothes, starting to need a bra, but no. Overrated. It wasn't Some people don't wear those things at all. I know. Yeah. So, because I'm a grandma, I was really nice about it. Like, I'm like, okay, whatever. Even though I'm not, I'm like, girl, you got to get these things. But I'm not the mom, so I can't be mean. I just said, okay, mom. I think, I think I'm going to not be the nicest of grandmas. I'm be like, fool, go in there and put on your panties. We're not it's not that she's not wearing them, but she didn't want to buy any. Yeah, we're not holy roller in it either. Like, you got to have the scene all together. No. <laughs> mm -mm. I think I'm not going to be the nicest of grandmas. I'm going to be loving, but I'm play it real. <laughs> no, I, I can't do anything mean or bad. I can't do it like with my kids. I would have went, oh, no, we're doing this. This, it's not a discussion. I'm the dictator in the family. This isn't a democracy. But I can't do that with her. Okay. Well, we'll reevaluate when I have grandkids someday. Yeah, it's going to be different. We'll see if I'm nice or not. Okay, I have a small tidbit. You know, I'm reading this really cool book called The Curious Something of Sex that I can't remember, but it's really oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so the latest one was really talking... It really was talking about clitorises and how there's not really very many words for it. Even in there's an encyclopedia of graphic words that I can't remember the name of that book. But of the, you know, tens of thousands of words that are in there and are hundreds for saying penis and all these things, clitoris has eight. Huh. Eight words. It's so underappreciated. You know, it is the only organ whose sole function is pleasure. And it is overlooked and often because it's its sole function, they want to ruin it. Don't ruin it. Okay, so did you know Why this? do you mean they want to ruin it? How do they want to do things and mess with it and cut it and move it and fart with it. Leave a bitch alone. Well, in some countries, that's a mutilation. It, it, there's mutilation, but there's all these different things. So historically, so Freud got into it, all these big people who thought they knew things about it before really we knew anything about it. And honestly, it is quite a mysterious button, right? We still don't know tons about it because it hasn't been researched long because women's sexuality was not really important historically. Right. It's just coming now. But they were talking about, um, oh, I want to say... Oh, it was a famous princess that I can't think of her name right now, but Freud and her were really interested in the same science and they became friends and there was an entire experience 
where she was feeling like, oh, I'm not living up to my potential because all of the major minds of that time had said the only orgasm that actually counts as an orgasm for females would be a vaginal orgasm. And if you're not, you know, doing that, you're not really living life. You're not doing it. Um, clitoral orgasms were for like the yuck people. Okay. So she wanted to not be girl. I'm yucky. (laughs) She didn't want to be that. She wanted to be of the highest prestige. She wanted to have a vaginal orgasm um, because that was supposed to be the acme of humanity. Right? So the thought process was the further away your clitoris was, that's why you couldn't have a vaginal orgasm. There was obviously something wrong with your anatomy. If it was of a certain length away from the vaginal uh, opening. So she had three different surgeries to move her clitoris further down to the vagina, and she still never had a vaginal orgasm because um, that's not how you have one. Right. And I started researching it because that's who I am. And you know that 80% of women, it's actually over 80% of people with vaginas, they don't ever have vaginal orgasms. Most of us simply have clitoral orgasms, and that's okay. Yeah. Totally okay. So little information. Freud got involved. And I wonder if the vaginal orgasm is really more associated with touching the same nerves of the clitoris coming through. And that is kind of what they're finding because right. they can't write. The G-spot. That's the G-spot, right. right? It's the really the clitoral nerves, their pathway. Yeah. So um, we've tried to mess with it on all the things. And, you know, we do say in other countries, but, you know, it's really quite recent they outlawed female I know. Mutilation in America. Um, In America? In America. It was happening in the 1900s in America. For sure. Like 1970s, I think. Anyway. Disgusting. I digress. That's not even what we're talking about today. But I I had a little bit of information. Yeah. And this is a really passionate topic for me. Um, Responsibility in your health care. So you making um, self-determined choices about your body and your decisions regarding health care. And of course, our decision making is concentrated around birth, right? Women's health and birth. Um, it really applies to everyone, but I feel like in general, the choices feels like it's been taken away in um, traditional healthcare when it comes to not just birth, but removing your uterus and um, any kind of health issues that women are having instead of fixing the problem. It's let's just take it out. Yes. Um, and I, I don't really love that. And of course, in traditional healthcare, it was really set up as the physician is the knowledgeable person. He's at the top of the chain and they make the final decision. Um, that's really how it was set up. It is. And it's funny that we've even had to give this a name. It's called shared decision making. Yes. Um, and it's actually an into that they classify it as implementing the intervention of shared decision making like this is a new concept that maybe you have some ownership over your health and these are the ways we can actually talk to people to let them know oh my gosh this is not an intervention it's a philosophy in where you're not a dictator you're not the authority it's a shared decision making you have information you give it to somebody and they make the decision imagine that imagine that yeah, that's not traditionally how it was set up. And if you, I was, as I was researching this topic, it really kind of depends on what country you're from. Because in countries that have socialized health, then the system is a, is playing a much bigger role in making those decisions for you. And 
And then the big decision is, and I say this because, you know, a lot of people want socialized health in our country, but then it comes down to if you're not leading the lifestyle that's going to promote the healthiest outcome from you, then then maybe someone else is going to make a decision about whether you deserve certain health care or not. And that's a and that's real, really sad. That's, that's an ethical it's, dilemma. It's so ethical. And that's where we're going to go. So I, I'm hoping, like, through some of this discussion that we're having today, that people really think about their personal responsibility and taking responsibility for them, themselves and their health. And that doesn't mean, oh, if you smoke or you do drugs or you do the things that are unhealthy or you eat and you're type 2 diabetic but you don't want to treat... I mean, I don't really care what the condition is. I want you to make the decisions about it. Yeah, I don't believe that. I'm not going to do that. And be have respect for whatever that decision is. That yeah. You're allowed to make that for yourself, whatever it is, without any judgment. Yeah. And I think what the basis of all of it is is information. And luckily, in the last 20 years, the Internet's come out, and some of it's trash, right? We can't always go to Dr. Google. But information literally is at, our, is at our fingertips. But where we should be getting it really is with the provider. So that's about a relationship. So when when clients, we call them clients, um, consumers, patients, whatever you want to say, when they're armed with information, they can then take their holistic health and their thoughts and their faith and their religion and come up with good solutions for themselves versus what a textbook may say the solution is. Right. And that just really comes back to the knowledge that nobody knows you better than you. So you're sitting in this body, you know your symptoms that you're having. And some of the research that I was reading on this too is that oftentimes the individual has more information about their condition than the physician because they have gone out and learned about it. So if you've gone out and you've really learned about whatever condition it is or whatever symptoms you're having, whatever you've been diagnosed, you may be the expert in that and much more capable of making your own decisions about how to treat, what you want to treat, what you don't want to do. And on the flip side of that, as providers, clinicians, midwives, whatever you want to call us, Knowing how you prefer something, what are your preferences, that's going to help us guide you into different recommendations, right? So it's a, it's a, it's reciprocal, right? It's, it's a conversation that has to go back and forth or it won't work. Right. Yeah. And the NIH, at the National Institute of Health, um, this is what their stance is. Responsibility for health should be a collaborative effort among individuals and the societies in which they live. Individuals should care for their own health and help to pay for their own health care. And society should promote health and help to finance the cost of health care. That's their opinion. And are we doing it? No. That is the National Institute of Health's opinion. And do we do that on a broad scale daily? Absolutely not. It is completely, here's your 10 minutes. This is what you're going to do. Here's some drugs. Put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. And I think when we think about shared decision-making... And I even find that interesting to say shared decision-making. I understand it as the client, and I also kind of understand it from a different point of view as the provider. Because I think as the provider, and I know Andy and I have had many discussions about what our responsibility of it and how we are going to be held responsible right. for the client's decision. Yes. And it's scary for us that we have to feel defensive of a promoting personal choice. It's really hard. 
It's yeah. really hard. And so many people with, you know, providers don't feel the way you just explained it because they do have to go at it from a fear perspective, from a litigation perspective, from a community standard who's going to put their thumb and push you down if, yes. if you respect autonomy, yes. you respect a person. And really, if you look at the benefits of it, because really everything is, okay, what, what good's going to come from it? Not only are people taking accountability for their health on, on a much greater scale these days, yeah. but it costs less when clients make their own decisions. It costs less. We're not wasting money. We're not wasting resources. There are better outcomes. And this is research. This isn't me pulling it out of my butt. Yeah. This is research-based. Better outcomes and better satisfaction, better experience, not only for clients, for people, but for the provider. So it's a win. Better outcomes, cost less money, and better experience. Like, What's the problem? Why aren't right. we doing it? Yeah, when patients understand their options and pros and cons of those options, um, we should always be taking into account their goals, not our goal for you. And really, we as providers should be meeting you at where you're at, not where we think you should be at. Um, but here's the other side of things. When I think of in the birth world, 83% of obstetricians are going to be sued at some point in their life. I always hear it, it's not if, it's when. It's when. So that's huge. And the main reasons, I just went ahead and printed this out, the main reasons for lawsuits are one-third of them are for suffering or abnormal injuries, failure to diagnose, failure to treat, um, maternal or fetal death, which seems reasonable, um, failed tubal ligations, timing and performance of cesarean sections, bowel perforations, which can happen when you do a C-section, and shoulder dystocia. And these are all normal risks that come with these things. And if we're giving information, people would know that. This sometimes can't be helped. These right. things, they're awful. Yeah. Awful. And I think, you know, I have been... Um, Last year, I was in a situation with a physician, and I actually like this physician. I'm not going to name any names. I actually liked her, and I think she loves her job, and she's really good at it. But I knew that she was afraid this woman was going to have a shoulder dystocia. She thought this baby was big. I did not think the baby was big. Um, and she really pushed for that C-section. She so pushed for it. A shoulder dystocia is when um, moms are trying to birth vaginally and a shoulder gets stuck in the pelvis in some way. So head is born, body is not coming. Right. And if there's any poor outcome with shoulder dystocias, then, you know, she's worried about getting sued. I actually get her point of view. I do. But I feel like she didn't present it and allow the client to make that decision. Right. Like, what are the true risks for you? Um she really thought a cesarean was going to be safer for the baby. Um, baby ended up being eight and a half pounds, so average American baby. But I could tell it was a true worry for her. She brought it to the attention of the client when the client came in for induction. She brought it to the attention of the client several times during labor. And then we were pushing for two hours, and she said, hey, this is a big baby. You could have a shoulder distortion. and all these things could happen. And talked her into the C-section. Complete and pushing by you. Um, but I get it. I mean, if she's she knows that if anything goes wrong, and things can go wrong and it can be nobody's fault. Absolutely. Right? But she knows that if she at least makes that timely decision, which is one of the things they're getting sued for, they didn't make a timely decision and present that, that 
she goes to court, she's going to lose. And it's not a popular opinion, what we're saying, because it's really difficult to look at it from a perspective that you've never experienced, right? right? So we can sit here knowing that our country is a Sue happy country. Right. Especially when it's wrapped into something so emotional, like your birth or your child, right? You are, if anything happens, even that veers from the experience you wanted, especially it involves long-term health effects or death of a child or a person, you've got to put the pain somewhere. You've got to put the anger somewhere. And what ends up happening is we don't take accountability for our own decision-making We put it onto somebody else, and that somebody else is the provider, and usually there's big pockets there. Yeah. And that's what ends up happening, and it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And I know we, as providers, uh, and what we do, we're thinking about those things in the back of our head, too, like, um, how am I going to be held responsible? And... Am I going to have to defend my license in some way? And how much is that going to cost me? And how much pain and suffering is it going to cost me to defend my license for supporting your decision? And that's where it is. It's one thing to involve the legal process if there is something that actually happened poorly. Your provider did something wrong. It's a whole other thing when we're just supporting the decision you make out of respect for your autonomy and then somehow we're liable for that. Right. So it's a tight walk, it's a tight rope that I think all all providers walk. Whether you're an OB, whether you're a nurse practitioner, CNM, CPM, it's a tight rope and it does affect our decisions. Which is sad. And but for you as a consumer, what you can do is Take, if, if those are decisions you want to make and that you feel strongly, then you take responsibility for those decisions. If you want to have a vaginal birth after C-section at home, even though every organization on the planet recommends that you have a vaginal birth um, after cesarean, they all do. Every country, every organization, but the mainstream is really not supporting it. Because of litigation. Because of litigation. So then you have to take that responsibility. Well, I'm not going to get a natural birth at a hospital with my VBAC. So my only other choice is to go out of the hospital. And you have men, all of us, most midwives are supporting your decision to do that. But we also need you to take responsibility. Like, hey, 0.4% chance you could have a uterine eruption. Out of that 0.4% chance, 6% chance of those that baby's going to die. So it's you knowing that. And taking on that responsibility um, is what needs to happen in order for, I think, the whole system to work a little bit better partnership. I agree. Um, and that's kind of where we're at today when we when we talk about, when I'm talking about personal responsibility, it's like me taking the responsibility of going against maybe that medical advice. Let's and what talk that about that. Like. AMA, against yes. medical advice. Yeah, learned a new fact today. Um, A lot of times when you decide that you are going to discharge yourself against medical advice, um, AMA it's called, or DMA, um, Doctor Against Medical Advice, I forgot what that D stands for. Um, It has more to do with pediatrics than adults. But they'll often tell you in the hospital system that, hey, if you do that, your insurance isn't going to cover this visit. 
found out that is not true. Your insurance is going to cover that visit. They supplied you. They supplied the service. You took the service. Now you're discharging yourself. It's as simple as that. And your insurance covered that service. They're still going to pay. And our decision making shouldn't be made because of what the insurance says or doesn't say or coerces or doesn't coerce. That's not fair either because that's not shared decision making. Yeah. It's coercion. Yeah. Other interesting things to think about when you're thinking about why providers are coming at it from a different perspective and what you can do to take back your power is because you have to understand their perspective. Um, the other thing that OBs are paying up to $150,000 a year for malpractice insurance. Um, but I did find out that in Texas, it is not required for any of us to have malpractice insurance. It's not required, but what do you do, right? Because it's not if, it's when. Yeah. And especially in, in their world, when it is so multifaceted and they are dealing with so many clients, the odds are even greater for them. Yeah. So, I mean, they're starting off with that malpractice insurance and they are going to want to do everything that they can to prevent that lawsuit, them losing that lawsuit because they're going to have it. And you know what everything they can do is and it's why our rate is so high? Is a C-section. C-section. Because a C-section, they can go, I did everything I could do. In a timely manner. And what we're all fighting for is to get into that who umbrella of what is satisfactory as far as a C-section rate. And we're never going to get there if people don't take accountability for their decisions. Yeah. Because what are providers supposed to do? Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope. And I just wanted to touch in on how this affects children in the hospital. So we run into this a lot. Um, I feel like maybe the home birth world parents are a little bit more autonomous in their decision making about them and their children. <laughs> Could you say that? Uh, yeah. To be true. So they're not always following the system or the recommendations. Um, they want to think about it. They want to do their own research and then make a decision. But oftentimes if they get in the hospital system, the pediatricians really are kind of in charge of your children in the hospital. And your rights really are on some level taken away. Because if you get a pediatrician that feels like your child needs A, B, or C, and if they don't get it, then it's threatening the safety of that child, then they have a legal obligation to report to CPS. It's really as simple as that. So it really depends on the provider you have in the hospital who's more willing to be a team player or if they have a strong opinion about something and you're going against it, you don't have a lot of choice in that hospital environment to go against the pediatric recommendation. Not much. Not much. It's pretty difficult um, if that's their opinion. You can still do it and you can still fight. But they're obligated to call CBS if they feel like the child's safety is in jeopardy. Correct. And then you have to be willing to jump through that hoop with CPS as well. Um, so it's an interesting place we're at where we want CPS and we want their protection. But there is a little bit of intrusiveness happening, crossover happening when it comes to your children. It is. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I don't know how I feel about everything, and I don't know that that our listeners know how they feel about everything. 
the, the point today is just to look at it from different perspectives because there are different perspectives. Yeah. And what does it mean for you as a consumer? The bottom line, and I feel like the bottom line is that you should feel like you make the final decision for yourself, that you have complete autonomy. And if you are going against what the mainstream is providing for you and but you still want to work with that provider like you really like them and maybe you guys have a good relationship you just have a difference of opinion on this thing then you can release them from liability and that means writing something out in your own words saying that you understand the information you've been given you understand what it means and you're going to release them from liability um, it's a gift you can give them to say, I understand what you say, and you put it in writing, your own words of what your understanding is, what the advice is, and what your decision is. Um, and this way you release them from liability, and that gives them a little bit of, okay, they understand, That gives, and it also gives them, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, so they know that they've done everything in their power in giving you all the information. Yeah. And we do that like in our office. We all offer you gestational diabetes screening. And you do have the option to say no. But when you say no, we say, hey, can you sign this saying that we've offered it? You understand the risk of undiagnosed gestational diabetes and you still decline this test. Yeah. And sometimes we do even say, can you put it in writing what you understand? Right. Um, you want that, you want a breech delivery at home and you're a first-time mom and, you know, it's not done that much in the U.S., but it is done around the world in other countries very commonly. But you putting in writing saying, this is what I want and I understand the risks and blah, 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 blah. So it's you taking that responsibility. And then if there is an outcome that wasn't expected but a possibility, you own it. You own it, right? You don't sue the provider that supported your decision. Yeah, because that's not fair. It's not fair. And understand the risks that your provider takes, too, because I know in our case, we can have complaints filed against us, and it doesn't have to be you. It could be your friend. I can't believe Jalen let her go to 41 weeks and five days. Normal, by the way. I'm just saying this as an example. I can't believe that Andy let her do a her third baby and she had a breech birth at home. Totally normal and low risk, right? But somebody else can file that complaint, and now we have to go defend our license. Because we, I know for us, we don't have anybody out there defending us. We're on a ship alone. It's true. It's true. And I think the AMA has got a little bit of a buffer. Maybe not much. I, I think they may disagree with that. I don't know. And we should know. We should know those things so that we can be more team-like. Yeah. And I do want to work with a team with the medical system because there's times where we need the medical system and we want to have good relationships with them. And I think we don't get that good relationship until we understand where everyone's coming from. Mm -hmm. And that's really the goal here. Understand where we're coming from. We try to understand where you're coming from. We try to respect and support it. And that's just what we need in return. Yeah, all the way around. Good teamwork. That's right. There we go. Um, thanks for joining us. We're going to see you soon, hopefully in a week. All right. Have a great week. Bye.